Good morning, everyone. Nice to see you this bright, sunny Sunday morning. Uh, my name is Dan Knust. I'm the high school youth pastor here at the church. If I've not met you, I am not, I'm not the Pastor Dan. I'm the other Pastor Dan. So um, it's nice to see all of you this morning. It just struck me as these guys were playing their set. Joe and I did not have an opportunity to talk about what I'm going to be preaching on this morning at all. But apparently God talked to him and he got God talked to me because... That song set is going to fit very well with what I'm going to talk. Hopefully, the song set was great. Hopefully, the message will be helpful as well. How's that? So, um, and it will fit in with what we sang this morning. So hang on to the words that we just raised our voices to the Lord with, because I think it's going to match with what I'm going to be sharing this morning with everyone, hopefully. So anyway, Pastor Dan obviously asked if I would fill the pulpit this morning, and I gratefully said yes, because I always appreciate the opportunity to do this, um, because we have a great pastor, don't we? And this is a humbling thing when you get to stand in the pulpit that he fills every Sunday. It's a very big deal for me. And my goal this morning is to do nothing more than this. Honor God and honor Pastor Dan. That's it. Hopefully you guys will get something else out of it this morning other than that. But that's my goal um, this morning. So I know Tanner is the same way when he gets the opportunity to do this as well. So I got a question for you this morning. <clears throat> if you could pick anyone in the Bible, you don't have to yell out loud if you don't want to. But if you could pick anyone in the Bible, you could be like... Who would it be? Normally men say we don't want to be like him in a sense, but a lot of times we're like Peter, right? <clears throat> we're, we, we echo Peter a lot in our lives as men. I personally, one of the guys in scripture that I look up to and really appreciate is Silas. Because I always look at Silas, I'm not talking about him this morning, but he's one of the guys I always look at because when Paul and Silas were being beaten in the town square, Paul was, had a vision, was called to this area, this region of the world, and Silas just trusted Paul's walk with God. And when they were being beaten in the town square, I often wonder if Silas just didn't look over at Paul and go, are you sure we're supposed to be here? Because <laughs> this is not going well for us, Paul. I mean, yes, we're honoring God. They were in prison. They were singing praises at midnight songs and hymns. And, and you just, so one of the guys I've always looked up to is Silas in scripture. I want to be that faithful to Pastor Dan, if I can put it that way. Because as I watch him in ministry and watch as he raised me up and has taught me what ministry looks like all these years, I want to be that faithful to him because I know he listens to God's voice, right? So that's who I wanted to be like. But whoever that is this morning that you would think you would want to be like in Scripture, or maybe your life represents a little bit of, one of the guys I'm going to talk about this morning, I believe, is probably nobody in this church or watching this online had this person come to mind. This morning, the person I want to talk about is Habakkuk. And Habakkuk is a prophet, and I'm going to look into the book of Habakkuk this morning as we go through this. And a lot of you will have to look into your index to find out where the book of Habakkuk is because it's one of the minor prophets. It's one of the shortest books. It's three chapters. It's sandwiched in between Nahum and Zephaniah. So if you'll take the time to find that in your Bible real quick, look in the index if you have to. It's okay because um, there, there's nothing wrong with that. That's why it's there. I want to give you a little bit of background on Habakkuk, though. And, and I always get a kick out of this because... Habakkuk, Habakkuk, this guy's name is pronounced a thousand different ways when you listen to scripture and how it's pronounced. I'm going to call him Habakkuk this morning, if that's okay. If I've offended anybody by pronouncing that wrong, please forgive me, and uh, I'll try to do better next time. But Habakkuk was a contemporary of Nahum and Zephaniah and also Jeremiah. He actually was a prophet during the reign of King jo Josiah, which was 640 to 609 B.C., and King Jehoiakim, which was 609 to about 586 B.C., so that is the context behind this. His name actually means to embrace or to wrestle. 
I want you to hang on to that because as I go through this this morning, and hopefully as this message unfolds, you'll see him embracing God <clears throat> throughout this, this book, but also wrestling with God throughout the book as well with questions that he has for God. Habakkuk is unusual in this sense. Normally, a prophet would get a message from God, and then they would go, as I'm doing this morning, share it with the people of Israel. That's what a prophet would do. Habakkuk's a little bit different, and I appreciate what he's doing here because this whole book basically is about Habakkuk and God having a conversation. Now, it is penned and given to the Israelites to help them, to edify them, to encourage them, and to teach them what God has for them. But so Habakkuk, when you, and here's, when you, when you look at this, he, he really does it unusually. He's literally just talking with God. He's having a conversation with God. It's like our quiet time. When we're praying and we're reading scripture and we're letting God search our heart and we're having conversations with him, that's really what the book of Habakkuk looks like. It's important to understand in the context of this. So in the latter part of the 7th century, Judah, which we'll look at this morning, was morally corrupt, violent, and um, just spiritually disobedient. I really think this, this will echo a lot and it'll make a lot of sense. It's always amazing to me, and I, I, I know I always share this and you guys are the same way, how relevant something is that was penned so long ago, how relevant it is still in our lives today. So in the, the latter part of the 7th century, Judah was just a mess. We find Habakkuk asking God questions because he's troubled about the wickedness, the strife, and just the corruption that is flowing through Judah at this time. And Habakkuk is just confused about this, so we'll watch him as he does this. But then, not, as we, not only is he confused about what's going on with Judah, he's also confused about what answer that God gives him. It even makes him more trouble and perplexed and confused and frustrated after he hears from God as we look at the scripture. So I believe this morning, there's a pattern here that I want to give you guys. And this is why I think this is helpful for me. There's a pattern in Habakkuk that we see when we go to God and ask him questions. There's a pattern in which this flows that I really want to pay close attention to this morning. But here's the deal. I don't read that well, and you don't want to listen to me read three chapters of Scripture to you this morning because you'll be really confused. But I really, I know you guys will all do this because you're obedient when the pastors stand on stage and we encourage you to do something in Scripture. Here's what I want you to do today, though. Genuinely, I really want you to go home and find the time to read the book of Habakkuk. Because I don't have time to go through the whole thing this morning. It's three chapters. It'll take you 15 minutes to read the whole thing, probably, if you do it. But I want you to take what I teach today. I want you to be like the Bereans. When I teach what I'm going to teach out of Scripture today, I want you guys to go home and check me and make sure I'm right on this. I want you guys to go home and study this and read this and take what I'm going to share today and, and put it into the framework of that Scripture and go, is that there? Because I think you know, it, it, the, the Old Testament, which Paul tells us, is given to us for our, for our benefit, for our teaching, for our learning. I really believe that if you'll do that today, this book of Habakkuk, these three chapters, this little minor prophet will raise out the page and become 3D for you. And I think it's something that you'll never forget. And when you're in the throes of conversations with God and you don't know what to do, I think this pattern will help you a lot. So go home today and please read this. But I want to work through this and I'm going to pick a couple of scriptures out in each one of the chapters that I want to read this morning, and hopefully it'll set a framework up for what God's laid on my heart this morning. The first thing is we see here is a tested faith. In verses one, chapter 1 of Habakkuk, verses 1 through 4, we see Habakkuk's complaint. He says this to God. Now picture this. Put yourself in Scripture for a second. 
You're sitting in your quiet place in your house. Hopefully you have one. And you're talking with God. This is what Habakkuk is doing here. And his complaint to God is this. This is a, Verse 1 says, This is a message that the prophet Habakkuk, Habakkuk received in a vision. Verse 2 says, How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Whenever I look, I see destruction and violence. I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? I'm reading out of the NLT, the New Living Translation, because I really like how familiar this was to us, as I think, in our own country today. I am, I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed, and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous, and that, so that justice has become perverted. That's chapter 1 of Habakkuk, verses 1 through 4. And what you see here, in chapter 1, you're going to see Habakkuk ask two questions of God. And in chapter 1, God gives him one reply. His first question to God is, how long? How long do we have to wait? You get the sense that he's been praying about this for a while. This isn't the first time he went to God and asked God this question. Seems like he's been at this for a while. How long do we have to watch what's going on in our country before you do something? Because in this book, you get the sense that Habakkuk was upset with God. He wasn't maybe, upset's probably not the right word, but confused. And he's like, why is it that I keep praying and you seem to be silent and seemingly are doing nothing about what is going on in Judah? Amen? Anybody else besides me? This makes a lot of sense to me when you watch Habakkuk. So I don't want to be too hard on Habakkuk this morning because I think we've all asked this same question to God over our lifetime. I think children have asked God this question, and I believe I don't care how long in the tooth you are in this room, we've all asked God this question. You ready? Why, God? Am I the only one? Why, God? It's not that I don't love you. It's not that I don't trust you, but why? Why is this happening? You can fill in the blank behind that however you'd like. Why did I have this death in this family? Why do I have these health issues? Why do I have these financial issues? Why when as a Christian I've been working my hind end off for years at my job and I get laid off? We've all been where Habakkuk is at in this story. I believe he is one of the guys in scripture that everybody who's listening to my voice can relate to. No matter what the circumstance or situation is. So when we look at him, I don't want to be too hard on him because he's really struggling here. But he does the right thing. He goes to God with his questions. Remember how I talked about it? He's not talking to other people. There's nothing wrong with visiting with pastors and talking to other Christians. But he goes to the source of the answers that he wants to get. He goes to God. See the pattern that I'm talking about? He has questions, he sees issues, he doesn't know what's going on. It seems like God's not doing anything about what's happening. But yet, where does he go? He goes to God. We've got to hang on to these things as we watch Scripture unfold. When things are tough, where do you go? Be honest with yourself. I think we all eventually end up at the throne of God but I don't think it's the first place we go, is it? Oh, we eventually get there, don't we? Because when we go through the other avenues, there's nothing else we can do. 
And the other thing I think people do is not only do they stay faithful to God, a lot of people, but a lot of people do this. They run from God when things like this are going on that they don't understand. Because I've prayed. And you're not doing anything. So I'm going to go find other answers. Don't run from God. In the times of trouble, I think one of the things that I learned from Habakkuk most in this is that he went to God and he had conversations with God. See, God's not intimidated by your questions. You know that? No, do you really know that? Do you really understand that God does, he wants you to come talk to him? He loves you. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how God demonstrates his love for us. He wants you to come talk to him. He is not intimidated by your questions. I believe there's nothing we can't talk to God about. I really do. I really believe there's nothing I can't have a conversation with my God about. Whether it's, Lord, why did you allow this? Or why didn't you stop this? Why didn't you allow this to happen? Why didn't you allow this to happen? I've been praying, and how come all this is going on the way it is? See, I really believe that we can go to God with questions. Here's the deal, though. I teach students this all the time. Everybody, you, know, you probably heard me say this as well. There's a difference between having questions for God, which we see Habakkuk cabin, and questioning God. There's a fine line there, folks. And we've got to make sure that we don't cross over that line where we start questioning God. See, I think if we start questioning God, what we will do is we will run and we will go away from God because that will, those questions cause me to drift. If I have questions for God, it causes me to draw near to him so that I would find my answers. But here's, here's how I really think you can determine whether you have questions or whether you're questioning. It's all about your attitude. What attitude are you approaching the throne of God with? With a reverent, fearful attitude of, oh God, you're God and I'm not and I don't know what to do and I need you? Or listen, God, I've been talking to you about this forever and you haven't done a thing. I'm out. I'm done. See the difference? It's your attitude that what you do this with makes all the difference in the world. Proverbs 9 and 10 tells us this. The fear of the Lord, reverence, the reverent fear of God, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. That's the fear of God. Whether God answers us or not, He is God, and we need to stay with Him and stick with it and keep praying. A sincere question for God from a genuine heart, I believe God loves. He's our Father. Whether you had a good dad here on earth or a bad dad here on earth, we have a wonderful father in heaven who loves you. And he wants his children to come sit on his lap. I never want that statement to sound like it's deedifying to God. That is one of the most precious things I love about God. Is he's my father. And I can go sit on his lap and I can talk to my dad, Abba Father, about anything with a sincere heart. But I never want to be like the Pharisees when they went to Jesus and tried to trap him and tried to trick him and tried to get him stuffed in a corner. So if you're ever wondering, when I'm going to God, am I, Lord, am I questioning you? Or have I just got questions that I don't understand? I really believe you determine the difference between those two things by your attitude. And man, listen to me. If your attitude's bad, you better beg God to change it. Because that will get you in trouble. See, doubt and unbelief will destroy you spiritually, I believe. Because they will grab a hold of you and drag you away kicking and screaming. Because Satan wants you to really look at, did God really say? 
So if you've got doubt and you've got unbelief, I want you to hit your knees today and you beg God to take that out of your life because he doesn't need to be doubted. He needs to be trusted. Habakkuk in in verses 3 and 4 describes this more clearly, the sins that concern him about this, what was going on in Judah. And I want to read them again because I want us to see the parallel, the resemblance of what we're going through. Verse 3 says, Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed, and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous, so that justice has become perverted. God's justice has not become perverted. God's truth reigns. Pastor Dan talked about this last week. He talked about how Elijah thought he was the last one, right? God says, I've got 7,000 that have not kissed the bale. And we talked about this last week when I was praying at the end. Are you one that God would count? Not from your perspective, but from God's perspective, are you one that God would count as being one of those 7,000? We've got to allow God to search our heart with these things, but I really believe in America today. Verses 3 and 4 echoed in my heart deeply when I looked at this. And like a lot of you in this room, I've talked to God about what's going on. I'm praying for our president and our vice president, and I am praying for them. Because that's what we're supposed to do. But here's what I do know, and as I stand up here, you're thinking probably the same thing. God, God doesn't always answer my prayers like this, Dan. I don't always hear from on high when I'm praying. Remember how Habakkuk prayed for long? You get the sense that he's been at this for a while. This isn't something that he's done once, and it's a once-off and he went away. He's been praying. The, the, prayers, the, the prayers of a fervent man availeth much right? The fervent prayers. You stay at it. You keep going. You never stop, and you always go to God. Because here's what I do know. God doesn't always answer our prayers clearly, and on it, if we can just be honest, or the way we want him to, right? I think everybody in here has had God answer a prayer in a way we don't want him to, but down the road, we figure out that it was the best thing for us. But here's what I do know. He'll always tell me what I need to hear. Hear that? He'll always tell me what I need to hear. And when I need to hear it. It's up to him to do that, not up to me. I don't get to demand that God's going to answer my prayer. I'm not going to get to demand that, God, I want to hear from you today. Because here's what I know. When you think about prayer, and I've taught this before as well, prayer, sometimes when we go before God in prayer and we look at these things, pray, prayer doesn't always fix the situation that changes my heart. And it changes my heart in a way I can deal with the situation before me in a manner that will honor God. That's really what prayer does for me. But when you look at this... Um, You don't get the sense that God was mad at Habakkuk because God gives him an explanation. The next thing we're going to look at this morning here in this first point is that God gives him an explanation. And God answers him patiently and explains to him, but he's he's telling Habakkuk, I'm already at work. And God's answer you see in verse 5. I'm going to shorten it up again. In verse 5 it says, The Lord replied, Look around the nation, look around at the nations, look and be amazed. For what I am doing today is something in your own day, something you would not even believe if someone told you about it. I am raising up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people. Then they will march across the world and conquer the land. (laughs) So you look at this from an emotional, dramatic cry of Habakkuk. God gives an emotional and amazing answer. He's going to raise up the Babylonians. He's going to raise them up 
to teach Judah a lesson. It's going to be his tool of correction. God's tool of correction is going to be the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, one of the most evil people on the planet at that time. They would wipe things out. They would cut down trees. They would burn trees. They would destroy everything in their path. They were wicked and they were evil to the core. And God tells Habakkuk, hey, I'm already going to do something and you wouldn't believe it even if I told you. And I'm going to raise up your enemy to teach your, your nation, Judah, a, les a lesson. He raises them up. It's his tool of correction, and he's going to teach them, teach them what this looks like. If you want to read this, if you're taking notes, write down 2 Chronicles chapter 36, 14 through 21. I would encourage you to go read that today because you're going to see a description of exactly what Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians do to Jerusalem and the nation of Judah. They destroy them. They're horribly bad. They're evil people. I'm reminded of when God told Jonah to go preach to the Ninevites. Jonah's like, no, I hate those people because they're rotten to the core. Same thing here. So then what you see is a perplexed prophet because then all of a sudden Habakkuk is like, okay, Lord, how come you're not doing something? God says, I am doing something. Here's what I'm going to do. Habakkuk's like, hold it. He becomes a very perplexed prophet at that time because in verse 12 he says this, my Lord God, my Holy One. I like how he puts that. Lord my God, my Holy One. You are eternal. Surely you do not plan to wipe us out. Be Habakkuk for a second. Lord, you're not doing anything. God says, okay, I am going to do something. I am doing something, and I'll tell you what it is. I'm going to raise up your enemy, the Babylonians, and they're going to come in. King Nebuchadnezzar and his crew are going to come in and wipe you guys out. Habakkuk's like, hold it. Aren't you the eternal one? Aren't you the one that's going to save us? Aren't you the one that's going to do everything to sustain us? He's confused. All of a sudden, God's not doing enough. But God now is doing too much. Ever been there? <laughs> Time out, Lord. Okay, I didn't want that. We need to back up a little bit from that. That's not what I expected. So you see him doing both ways. First, God's not doing enough, and then he's doing too much. And now he becomes even more troubled because he doesn't understand what God is doing. Let me pause there for just a second, and I want to see if I can cover this and make some give you some clarity on this. I won't give you the details because I haven't asked for permission, but there was a time here a while back. It's been probably two years ago. I was driving down a highway, and something had happened within our church family that I didn't understand. I didn't get it. And I'm driving down the highway, and I'm talking to God about this, and I'm like Habakkuk. I'm driving down the highway going, Lord, I don't understand. I trust you. I know all things work for good, but I don't get this. On the front end of this, this makes no sense to me at all. How can you do this? Am I the only one? Anybody else ever been there? How can you do this, Lord? And I've taught this to a few students and a few of the adults along the way personally over conversations and cups of coffee, but here's what God told me, and I, I feel like Habakkuk in this because I couldn't hear his voice audibly, but God made it very clear to me, and he answered me back. He said, I don't know, Dan, how could I? How could I do that? I kept listening. And he goes, how could I do that, Dan? Because I'm confused. I, I, see, I saw something bad happen, and I'm like, Lord faithful person. I don't understand. I don't get it. And he goes, how could I do that? How could I send my one and only son to a world that was going to hate him and beat on him and spit on him and neglect him and hang him on a cross? How could I do that, Dan? And I will never forget that conversation I had with God because it was very humbling and he basically put me in my place. I didn't go at him with a bad attitude, but he sat me down. He said, I don't know, Dan, how could I do that? So I went from, God, how could you do that? How could you let that happen? To, go, to going, God, how can you do that? 
How can you let that happen? How can you send Jesus Christ to a world that's going to hate him, to a Dan Knuth that for 38 years lived like a fire-breathing heathen when you just held out your blood-stained hands? How could you do that? I don't understand it, God, but he did it. See, because when something bad happens to us, what we really want to do is we want to be mad at somebody, don't we? Because that emotion wells up us, and we want to go, I don't know, why did this happen? I don't get this. And when you get angry like that, what it happens, watch people, because what it causes them to do is they turn around and they walk away from God. Because if you can't give me answers for what I'm looking for, and i got to be mad at someone, I'm going to be mad at you, because you're the one I'm in a relationship with, and it'll cause you to drift away from God. And that is the worst place in the world for you to be, so I'm going to give you something today. Are you ready? If you don't remember anything else I say today, remember this. You want to be mad at somebody? Be mad at the devil. Because it's because of that scumbag bum that we got hospitals. It's because of him that I got to stand up here this morning and share God's word. It's because of him we got sin, we got disease, we got adultery, we've got divorce, we've got murder, we've got. You get it? You want to be mad at somebody? You be mad at the devil. And then you thank God that he sent his one and only son to die on a cross that we could be in a relationship with him and eternal, be eternally in heaven with him someday. That's if you want to be mad at someone, you be mad at the devil. So don't you ever forget that because we're all going to face trials and tribulations in this life. And when they come and they will come and we don't know what to do, we stay like Habakkuk with our eyes focused on God. And when I need to be upset with someone, it's that stinking devil that I'm upset with. Because if it wasn't for him deceiving Eve and Adam eating the fruit, guess what? We wouldn't be here today. Make sense? So turn that around and go, God, how can you do this? And then Habakkuk's response is this, and then we'll get into the second point because I've got to get through with this. My first one's a little longer than the other two. Habakkuk's res- response is leading into trust because in chapter 2, we transition into chapter 2, verse 1 here. It says, Habakkuk says this, I will climb up on my watchtower and stand at my guard post. Then I will wait and see what the Lord has to say and how he will answer my complaint. So his complaint is, You didn't do enough, and now you're doing too much, and now he's going to stand and he's going to watch to see what God will do with this. He is confused, but this is a lesson that I really believe we all need to learn, that God, in the midst of chapter 2, we see what God's going to say about the Babylonians, and it's really important as you transition through this. But Habakkuk's confused, but now he's gotten his answers from God, and he's even more perplexed and troubled now, and God's going to give him some more to think about in chapter 2, which leads into a trusting faith. In chapter 2, we find Habakkuk trusting God for answers, and Habakkuk is not disappointed because what you're going to see is the Lord's second reply is this. We find this in chapter 2, verse 2. Then the Lord said to me, write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry it, carry the correct message to the others. So I see Paul Revere running through the streets saying, the British are coming, the British are coming. I see Habakkuk writing this down and a runner going around the society of Judah going, the Babylonians are coming, the Babylonians are coming. I wonder to myself just a little bit here, and this is me speculating. I wonder if God didn't tell them ahead of time that they might turn, repent, and come back. I don't know, you don't read that in here, but this is me speculating. Why else would God do that? Why else would God tell him to write this down so a runner can get the message correct and go tell Judah that the Babylonians are coming, you better turn around. Jonah and the Ninevites, that's the story of that one when you think about it. The Ninevites repented and so did God and he did not destroy them. But he goes on to say this, this is a vision for a future time. God says, it is just, this is him answering 
uh, Habakkuk. Now, it, is, it describes the end and will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently for it, for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. Look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked, but the righteous will live by the faithfulness, their faithfulness to God. We see Habakkuk trusting God by waiting. Do you do that? When there's a problem in your life, do you genuinely sit and wait on God? I'm not very good at that, to be honest with you. I got things to do, Lord. Let's get this one off my plate so we can get on to the next one, right? But Habakkuk waits, and you watch him again, and he gives you these things. And verse, <clears throat> in chapter 2, you see him watching, writing it down, and waiting. Habakkuk is doing exactly what God told him to do. It's obedience. He didn't do it until God told him to do it. He waited until God told him, now here's what I want you to do. Elijah's the same way when he says, Lord, I'm the only one that's left. And God says, no, you got 7,000. I got 7,000 that have not been unfaithful. So he tells Elijah, gives him food, gives him some rest, and puts him back to work. He does the same thing here with Habakkuk. He gives him something to do. And what he gives him to do is an encouragement for the righteous and the just because in verse 4 it says, look at the proud for they are wicked people. Look at the proud and wicked people. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked, but the righteous will live by faithfulness to God. The just will live by faith. That's what he's telling Habakkuk this. You watch the evil people. You watch them. You see what they're doing. Their lives are crooked, but the righteous will live by faith. And he goes on in verses 5 through 19 in chapter 2. Go read verses 5 through 19 of chapter 2 and look at the woes that God says about the Babylonians. It is not going to be good for them. He is going to destroy them is what he's going to do. He's going to raise them up as a tool of correction, but then he's also going to turn around and destroy the Babylonians for what they're doing. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But then in verse 20 of chapter 2, you see assurance for Habakkuk and Judah. And here's the assurance. I really believe when you watch this, Habakkuk is, again, got his answer. He's written it down so he can get the story correct. You go into verses 5 through 19, God makes it very clear that he's going to denounce, destroy, and disgrace Babylon. And he does it. But then he gives assurance for the, for the believers in verse 20 because it says this, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. That probably doesn't mean as much to us as it did to Habakkuk in that day. God's still in his temple. God is still on his throne. God is still in control. You guys know that? No, do you know that? God is still in control. It might not seem like he's doing anything, Habakkuk, but he's in control and he knows what he's doing and he's always at work and he's always up to something and he's going to hold the Babylonians and Nebuchadnezzar, that whole nation, he's going to hold them accountable because here's what he does. 66 years, if you look at history, 66 years after Habakkuk wrote this, the Babylonians were destroyed. God keeps his promises, people. 66 years in uh, 539 B.C., history records that the Babylonians were destroyed. So what God told Habakkuk was going to happen, happened, because when you read the book of Daniel, that's when Nebuchadnezzar and the, and the Babylonians come in and they destroy Jerusalem and they take everybody captive, take them back to Babylon. That happened. So Habakkuk's watching this, and that happened. But also what happened is 66 years after this happened, 
God wiped out the Babylonians. God keeps his promises. That's what I get out of this whole thing with Habakkuk is God keeps his promises. He is in control. And you've got to remember this. It seems like, and at times it's true, that the wicked do prosper. That what they seem to be up to is working, doesn't it? But you know what? It's only for a time. It's not forever. It's only for a moment. If we trust God, we got to hang on to this, you guys, because if we trust God, it's only for a moment. Whatever you're experiencing, when it seems like wicked is reigning and wicked is winning and evil just is taking over, it's not true. It may seem like that for a moment, but long-term, in the end, who wins? Christ. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory because we got victory through Christ. We've got to keep an eternal perspective in the midst of the temporal stuff, the temporal stuff that we go through. Whatever you're going through right here in front of you, this is what Habakkuk was seeing. He saw everything in front of him, but we've got to keep an eternal perspective in the midst of temporal junk that goes on in our lives. If we do that, we will not grow weary. We'll keep our eyes focused on him. And God tells me this. God is in control, and he's the one that will vindicate the faithful. The faithful will walk by faith. And we will be vindicated because God is in control. Here's what it says, Deuteronomy 32, 35. God says, it's mine to avenge. I will repay. In due time, their foot will slip. Their day of disaster is near and their doom rushes upon them. You hear what he's saying? Stay faithful. Stay with it. Romans 12, 19. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. You know what we're supposed to be doing in the meantime? This is the hard part. We're supposed to pray for them. We're supposed to pray for those who persecute us. And pray for our enemies according to our Lord. Because see, I really believe this, you guys. No matter how evil evil is, hell is eternal. And that's where I was going before I gave my life to Christ. So I had to be wicked, and somebody prayed for me. Pray for those who persecute you. We must be like Habakkuk and wait patiently on God, wait patiently for God to act. And then you see this as he receives this instruction. In chapter 3, we go from what was once a questioning prophet, a perplexed prophet, a frustrated prophet, to a praying and praising prophet in chapter 3. And all this transition that's going on in chapter 1, you see him doing these things. In chapter 2, he receives these replies from God. He realizes that the wicked are not going to reign forever. They will wither and they will fade and they will be destroyed according to God's word. And then in chapter 3, we find a transition in this. Because I believe what happens here is this. Is this. We find Habakkuk going from looking here and going, Lord, what is going on? I don't understand. He's praying, but he's not praying with his eyes up. Does that make sense? He's not praying with his heart up. He's praying in the middle of his circumstance and his situation, and he's looking at this like, I don't understand this. I don't get what's going on. And he's looking, he's almost praying like this, looking at the landscape of what's happening. Here you see him transition. Here you see him in a triumphant faith. So it goes from a testing faith to a trusting faith in God. Number two is a trusting faith in God. And that leads him into a triumphant faith in the third phase, the third point that I got this morning. Because here's what he says in verse 1 of chapter 3. This is Habakkuk's prayer. This prayer was sung by the prophet Habakkuk. I have heard all about you, Lord. I am filled with awe by your amazing works. In this time of our deep need, help us again. 
as you did in the years gone by. And in your anger, remember your mercy. I like that last phrase. In your anger, remember your mercy. Remember I just said we're supposed to pray for those who persecute us? We're supposed to be merciful to those that are lost. We're supposed to... It, 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 that's such a weird balance, isn't it? And I don't understand it, and I'm not that good at it a lot of times. But eventually, if I keep my eyes, if I turn my eyes to heaven and get my eyes off my own junk horizontally and I turn my head vertically and my heart vertically, I will be a praising and praying prophet. I will be a praising and praying person because all of a sudden I've transitioned from my own junk to God. I've got an eternal perspective in the midst of a temporal situation. He praises him. He's, he's praising him because evil will not triumph forever. As Christians, we're going to face tragedies, you guys. <clears throat> I wish I had a better message this morning, and in the end of it, we do because we triumph. We have victory, but we're going to face tragedies this side of heaven. We'll have trials. Go read Romans 5, 3. It talks about how these trials that we go through, though, and James 1 is the same way. The trials we go through are to build us up and give us endurance as Christians. So we're going to face trials. We're going to face persecution. And the prophet, like the prophet Habakkuk, we're going to face tragedies in our own nation because of the disobedience of a bunch of people here that live on this side of heaven in our nation. We're going to experience, Habakkuk experienced the Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians coming in. He was part of it, but see, he remembered. He remembered what God said. And we need to remember what God says as well, that we will have victory. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at this because Habakkuk, this is something else I want to make sure we capture. Habakkuk's response here is what we need to do. Because Habakkuk's response changed everything. I had, a, I had a person tell me the other day we were having coffee, and this person was, has had a very, very bad circumstance in their life. I mean, just horrible. And they're like, well, and I remember this person telling me, well, that's done. There's nothing I can do about it. Been there? Well, that's it. I guess there's nothing I can do about it now. God said he did, and I can't do anything about it. You can do something about it. And I want to encourage you to do this. Your response to whatever you're going through is either going to glorify God or not. In this, we see Habakkuk's response honoring and glorifying God because of what he did. So if you think to yourself, well, there's nothing I can do about it. It's already been done. That's not true. I don't care what your circumstance or situation is. You can because the way you respond will change the direction of where you're headed in life, closer to God or farther away from God. I always put it this way. What I'm going through doesn't determine the type of man I'm going to be. At the end of my experience, how close I am to God will determine the type of man I'm going to be. That's how I look at it. So my response does make a difference. Habakkuk confessed, and he realized, as you read through chapter 3, he finally said, we're going to face tragedy. We're going to face trials. I get it now, Lord. That's one of the things he was doing. He realized, he admitted that we're going to go through stuff. But Habakkuk also did this, and I'll wrap it up with these last few thoughts. Habakkuk confessed this in verse 16 of chapter 3. He said, I will wait patiently on the Lord. That's his confession. I will wait patiently on the Lord. So if we want to be like Habakkuk, we wait patiently on the Lord. He could wait patiently on the Lord because he knew that God was at work. That's what allowed him to do that. He knew God was at work. That's what kept him going. And God is still at work today, and he's still bringing people from death to life through the power of the Holy Spirit, saving people, building his church, and all these different things going on. Because guess what? Babylon's gone but Jerusalem's still here. Amen? Babylon's been destroyed. And in that time, Jerusalem would have thought, uh-oh, but guess what? Go to Israel. 
Jerusalem's still here. Why? Because God said so. Habakkuk also did this. He said, I will rejoice in the Lord, chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. He didn't rejoice in his circumstance. He rejoiced in God being in the middle of his circumstance with him. Count it all joy, my, brother, my brothers and sisters, when you go through trials of many kinds. The joy is not the circumstance or the situation. The joy is that my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is right there in the midst of it with me. We sang about that this morning. My God who was, my God who is, my God will always be. He's with you all the time, no matter what you're going through, as long as you walk faithfully with him. He will walk faithfully with you. Philippians 4, 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, Paul says. I say it again, rejoice. And the other thing is you, you see Habakkuk doing, he says, in the God of my salvation, I will find joy. In the God of my salvation, I will find joy. How and why? Because he's looking for it. God taught me this a long time ago as well. He says, Dan, I was praying one day. I said, Lord, I know all things work for good. I know your word's true, but I don't get it right now. He says, because you're looking for the good. You're not looking for the one that provides the good. You picking up what I'm laying down? Stop looking for the good in the situations and start looking for the one who provides the good. And then you'll be like Habakkuk and you'll be a praising, praying person. And I will rely on the Lord, he says in verse 19. Because of his faith in the Lord, he was able to stand, it says, like a deer on the top of a mountain. Because of your faith in the Lord, I want to encourage that you can stand on the rock that is Jesus Christ. The wind and the waves will not beat on you. They will not move you. That solid rock that is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is exactly where you need to be. Deuteronomy 33, 27 says this. The eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. He will drive your enemies. He will drive out your enemies before you saying, destroy them. He will... He told Habakkuk, I will put you on the places of high. Your feet will be like on the deer on a mountain and you will be on high. And basically to me what that means is this. No matter what's going on down here, if I keep my eyes on God, it will not drag me down spiritually into the depths when I'm going through hard times and, tri and trials. As long as I keep my eyes focused on God, he will sustain me, he will lift me up. And we sang this, this bit in a song earlier in Psalm 118, verse six. Again, the, the song set this morning I think fits perfect. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord's on your side. There's no reason to be afraid because man can do nothing to you according to his word. Live by the promises of God, not by waiting on explanations because it won't work. And you will grow weary and it will, it will be hard on you. I know sometimes it seems like evil is overwhelming and evil is taking over and evil is just destroying everything in our path. <clears throat> but we got to remember, just because evil seems to reign doesn't mean that it's overcome God because it hasn't. God's good. The definition of evil and wickedness is the absence of good. God, according to the book of Mark, Jesus says only God is good. And if we're God's dwelling place and God lives in me, we can see the good. We can keep our eyes focused. I don't have to look around. I keep my eyes focused on God. God's in control and he will make all things right according to him. Is that enough for you? 
no, really, think about that. I mean, I know that's a little pithy saying that I've got there, but God's going to make all things right according to him. Do you trust him enough where that's enough? Is according to him what he would do in your life good enough? See, I believe it is. But I believe we've got to be like Habakkuk. Because here's what I heard. I, I, I heard this said one time, and I wrote it down, and I'll close with this. And Tanner, if you can come up and pray here in just a second. I heard it put this way. When Habakkuk looked within, he, he saw himself trembling with fear. Sound familiar? When Habakkuk looked within, he saw himself trembling with fear. When he looked around the world, he saw everything falling apart. But when he looked up by faith, he saw God, and all of his fears vanished. We look within, we're going to tremble with fear because we don't know what to do. We look around, and everything seems like it's being destroyed. But when we look up, and we keep our eyes fixed on the author and the finisher of our faith, there's nothing to fear because we saw God. To walk by faith means to focus on the greatness and the glory of God. When we look at Habakkuk this morning, we see the fa his faith was tested, but then he had a trusting faith because he started to really realize what God said was going to come true. But that led him into a triumphant faith, and he was able to walk faithfully with God in the midst of a really bad situation. And I don't think it's changed for us today. So when you find yourself, and you will, looking within and not knowing what to do and being scared to death, and it's true, and we do do that in a dark of night, and I know what that's like. And you're just thinking, man, Lord, everything is just falling apart around us. But I will trust in you. You are my refuge. You are my strength. You are my strong tower. Because when we look up and keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, we realize he's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And we have victory through Christ. Amen? Tanner, come pray for us, will you? Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you for the just sheer practicality that we get when we truly understand the heart of your word, Lord. So we thank you this morning for what you inspired Habakkuk to write. And Lord, we thank you for that experience that you gave him that we now get to see as an example and a pattern for how we are supposed to deal with things, Lord. How we're supposed to deal with questions we have for you. Deal with the struggles that are very real in each and every one of our lives that are, are much more real to us than maybe all these uh, big ideas that we could talk about and sit in here and uh, wonder about the theory of things, but this is the real gritty truth of, of walking this Christian life out is how do I do this? And so, Lord, with each and every one of us in here as we sit and we think about those things in our lives that we have those questions for you, Lord, would we would we have the courage and would you give us the grace to deal with these things in the way that you taught and you showed Habakkuk do it? To, to go to you in our questioning, not to turn our back on you, but to go towards you and to actually go to the one who truly does care for us and wants to protect us and show us the truth of the reality of what is going on in our world and in our lives. 
Lord, we know that there's so much about our experience in our life that we, we can't understand because we can't see the full picture. So would you, in all these things, in all of our struggles, would you help us and remind us of all of these things, Lord? Bring these th- thoughts, bring the things that Pastor Dan told us today to mind when we encounter these troubles again, Lord. Bring those, bring those little sayings back to mind so that we can deal with things as you would like us to. And that's and and how do we do that? We go to you, Lord. So draw us to yourself in our questions. Draw us to yourself in our struggles, in the difficulties, in the tragedies, each and every small and big experience that we have that is uh, causing us to wonder. Would you draw us to yourself, Lord? Because we know, and as Pastor Dan t- taught us this morning, we know that there's nothing better and there's nothing more that we could ask for than to have you by our side. Walking through the fire, walking through whatever experience it might be, with you by our side, we can make it. And without you, we cannot. So Lord, we thank you and we praise you. Because there's only one way that we could have your presence with us, and it's because Jesus died for us. And so Lord, we, we, we just continue we continue singing in our hearts the, the truths we got to sing this morning about how great a friend we have in Jesus, how, how thankful we are that we have a God who did what he did for us. Lord, speak to each and every one of us as we go and remind us of these things, as I said, as we continue to experience life and go through troubles, help us to remember Habakkuk, help us to remember these words that we were taught this morning, and help us to remember that patiently waiting with you by our side is our calling. Help us. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great Sunday, everyone. We'll see you next week.